Hello there, and welcome to Novelstalgia, where we read and lovingly roast our favorite childhood books so you don't have to. I'm your intrepid host, Ashley Poston, alongside my co-host, Nicole Brinkley. What makes you intrepid? Uh, because I am intrepidly going into these books with an open heart. An open heart and shipping goggles on. <laughs> I didn't know you knew how to take your shipping goggles off. I don't. I think they're like glued to my face at this point. I I, I can't. I can't get them off. <laughs> Two characters who never interact once in a book. Don't worry. I ship them. Professional shipper Ashley Poston. This month, uh, we're reading the second book in the Artemis Fowl series by Owen Colfer, The Arctic Incident. Now, we, we talked a little bit about this in like the teaser trailer where we reminded everybody we were reading this. Uh, but what did you remember from this book going into it? Uh, okay, so this book, I remember just one thing and like one thing only. I remembered that Holly loses a limb. She 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 flat out just like gets get something lopped off, and um, I remember that like twelve or thirteen year old me was like so heartbroken that I didn't want to go on reading it because I'm like, oh no, she's been got, she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Local woman who has healing magic loses a limb, and you were like, this is the end of the series. Owen Culver is murdering Holly Short. Listen, I was I was not trusting any author at this point. I was like, oh no. She's she's dead. She's 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 done for. It's it's the middle of the book. I don't know what's going to happen next, but it's not gonna have Holly short in it. They're just gonna bury her under all that Arctic ice and call it a day. <laughs> call it a day. They're just it's like, well, we buried an acorn, we can just bury a body and maybe that'll sprout something. <laughs> In your defense, though, that is more than I remembered. I remembered that it took place in the Arctic and it had his dad. As, as I read the book, I went, oh, yeah, that happened. Oh, yeah, that happened. But if you had asked me to remember anything else going into it, I would have just shrugged. So good job on remembering detail. I envy your, your, your Swiss cheese memory because... <laughs> Because you're like, yeah, I'm reading a book about the Arctic incident. I wonder what it's about. Probably an Arctic incident. <laughs> Look, I read this book 12 to 20 times when I was a child. But we're at the point now that where that was like 15 years ago. And I don't remember what I read last month. So, you know, when people ask like, oh, what book do you wish you could read for the first time? Baby, just be me. Every time it's like you're reading it for the first time. I wish I had that power because like the second I started, so I'm, I'm listening to the audiobook, right? So the second I started to uh, get back into the book, I remembered everything. Like when, when the plot points are introduced at the beginning, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this now. I know what's going to happen. Like that happens with every book. Like my, my like rereading nostalgia is just basically me going, oh, I guess I'll see how this works now. Cause I know this is going to work this way. <laughs> Cause I remember everything. I wish I could say that there, there is one thing that I knew right away how it would end. And we will get into that when we talk about the summary, but I straight up was like, oh, this is happening. Cool. I kind of remember that. Oh, this is happening now. Cool. I kind of remember that. What a what a wild ride you must have. 
It's, you know, my life's pretty great. You know whose life isn't great? Dr. Argon. I I feel so bad for Dr. Argon. Also, also Dr. Poe, but we'll get into that one. We'll get into that. So let's start talking about the books. I want to start briefly with the prologue. I felt like the prologue of the original book didn't matter as much. This one actually does a little bit of legwork in, in reminding you what you need to know. I do have to ask. So the the format of the Artemis Fowl books, for those of you who are maybe listening to this podcast without reading them, is they're framed as like a recap of the adventures as written by fairy Dr. Argon. Did you also have, I, I keep just, I, I wrote it down as a sh- Shazam situation. If you had made me bet $100, I could have sworn it was Foley. Okay, so actually, when I finished reading this, I went back to the last book to see why I thought it was Foley. And, like, I think it is Foley, to be completely honest, because, like, he he starts telling Artemis's story to Artemis for plot reasons that we'll get into in the last book. Um, and it is the exact same sentence as the very first scene in the first Artemis Fowl. So, like, I, I think Foley is moonlighting as Dr. Argon, if we're being completely honest. But Dr. Argon is his own character in the first... I know, I know, no, no, I know, I know. I just think, I, I have I have no idea. Maybe, maybe the, maybe Dr. Argon is, like is just a separate person and the person actually narrating the story is Foley. But like, it is confirmed at the end that Foley is our narrator. Listeners, you can't see me vigorously rubbing my forehead. And maybe this doesn't matter to any of you, but boy, does it make my head hurt. Okay. Um, And also, I, I love how in the prologue, um, the study is subtitled The Teenage Years. So, like, the leprechaun just has a file of, like, literally everything. Just it's, everything having to do with Fowl. Look, given everything we know about Artemis Fowl, that makes sense. But okay, let us step into the prologue. Here we learn and are reminded about Artemis Fowl, who has beaten chess champions, patented 27 inventions, won an architectural opera house design competition, written computer programmings, forged impressionist paintings, and of course, stolen fairy gold. We are also introduced uh, to the character mentioned uh, briefly in the background of the first Artemis Fowl books, which is Artemis Fowl Sr., uh, this is, of course, Artemis's father, who is the head of a criminal enterprise, uh, who wanted to go clean and apparently sell soda. Uh, cola. Until- it's cola. It's, it's cola. It's cola. Cola. Uh, until his uh, ship, which is called the Foul Star, not that that matters, but I thought the name was super cool. It is really cool. Exploded by the Russian mob. They tease us a little bit about what's coming up. Uh, that there's a goblin uprising and also that Artemis will be spending time outside. Mm-hmm. And then we get the proper prologue, which is a flashback to the Russians blowing up the foul star and finding a survivor covered in frostbite. His leg is snapped like Sid Vicious in that one really brutal wrestling injury Ooh. and his face burned. But they realize he's a rich man and they decide to keep him around. Uh, yeah, and like... So, listeners, we're going to do some math real quick, uh, something that I'm very bad at. 
The prologue of this book happens before the first novel of Artemis Fowl. So it technically happens two whole years ago, right? Like it happens at the sinking of the Fowl Star, which was two years ago, right? Yeah, Artie was 11, I think. Like, was it two years ago? But but then there are some discrepancies, like, in the book itself that, like, maybe he was 10. <laughs> when I mean, down. he could have been 10. Birthdays happen. They, they do happen. Uh, and, and, and anyway, uh, so it's set, like, two, two years ago. It happens before the first book. So not to spoil anything, but... But this means that Artemis Fowl Sr. has been captured with, by the mafia for two whole years. And not only that, but he's been in a coma <laughs> for two whole years. That's, a, uh, that's not a spoiler. But yes, we do find out later in the book he spent over a year in a coma. And then he woke up and was very annoying. And that is how our story sort of begins on the back end, though we find that out later. Yep. Also, uh, I would like to point out that this is the tertiary plot. This isn't even the main plot of the book. This is... <laughs> Which I, again, plum forgot. I was like, oh, yeah, this is about them going to the Arctic. And then we got to chapter two. And I was like, wait, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Like, we just take a complete left turn in chapter two. And it's just like, well, I guess we're going here instead. Much like uh, healing Artemis's mother of her severe depression was the tertiary plot of Artemis Fowl. Rescuing his extremely injured father from the Russian mob is the tertiary plot of the Arctic incident. Tertiary plot. Like, it's like, oh, the Arctic incident. We're going to go save the father. Like, the summary is about saving Artemis's father. And then, as it turns out, nope. <laughs> I mean, eventually... It eventually happens, but like, man, I feel so bad for Artemis. If things had just gone smoothly, just the way he wanted, he would have like, you know, gotten his dad, brought him home. It would have been fine, but no, no, no. Uh, Speaking of things going smoothly for Artemis, Ash, how does our book start? It starts with chapter one. Okay, chapter one is titled Family Ties. It's like a pretty short chapter, if we're being honest. Uh, and little tiny me dog-eared page nine, uh, which is which is quite lovely, if I have to say so myself. Uh, but I will get to that in a second. So chapter one picks up with Artemis uh, annoying the absolute crap out of Dr. Poe, who is the school counselor at St. Bartleby's for uh, for young gentlemen. Artemis is just taking him to town with his own, like, uh, therapy session, right? He's just like, oh, you think you're the smartest guy in the room, but no, I am actually the smartest guy in the room. And the antique that you're sitting on, yeah, it's not real. So I'm just going to crush your shriveled soul and I'm going to walk away because this is annoying. But then... Uh, the therapist, Dr. Poe, um, asks him a very, very interesting question. He, uh, well, it's not really a question. It's a, it's a statement. He says, the problem is that you don't respect anyone enough to treat them as an equal. And listeners, 
That is the theme of this entire book. It's just right, right there on page nine. Just like, well, bam. It's like, you get to that and you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's going to be what we're addressing. That's going to be the, 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 the book long therapy session that Artemis is going to have to reckon with. Uh, and so Artemis is like, oh, who cares? You know, he doesn't really care all that much. And then he gets a call from Butler, right? And Butler's like, yo, um, Artie, but he doesn't say Artie because he doesn't call Artie Artie yet. He's like, <clears throat> Artemis, uh, we um, we have a, a video from the Russian mafia. And like Artemis is like, what? And so he like basically like leaves the therapist session, obviously. And like Dr. Poe is like, no. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and so Artemis uh, just basically leaves the school he just like he doesn't care about anyone or anything he has a one-track mind and this sets up the entirety of the rest of the story um as artemis's character development uh yeah chapter one does generally start uh set up the rest of the story Mm -hmm. uh this is brilliant commentary from (laughs) ashley poet thank you thank you thank you you very much um it's also the shortest chapter in the entire book yeah, my notes were three sentences long. I was impressed you managed to make it more than three sentences long. Yeah, um, it's it, it's a whole bunch of like uh, Artemis just owning his therapist. He's just he's just. It's not even that, right? Like it's Artemis's mom wants him in therapy. He goes to therapy. Artemis's therapist calls him out on the real problem, and before they can get into it, Butler shows up and whisks him away. Yeah, basically, basically. You see, you, you summarized it a lot better than I did. So, you know, why don't you just take it up with chapter two and just go with go the rest of the book and I'll just like sit back here and go, yeah, that's how that happened. Chapter two starts and my note is just Elton John's The Bitch is Back because baby, Captain Holly Short is here. Unfortunately, she has been relegated to, uh, let's call it grunt work. Because everybody in the police unit wanted her fired after she got kidnapped by a kid super genius. The only reason she wasn't is that uh, Julius Root, her commanding officer, threatened to turn in his badge if they dared to fire her. And he has enough power that they were like, I guess we'll just put you on grunt work. The grunt work she is on is a stakeout of the and Ash, you've been listening to the audiobook. I don't know how to say this word. Is it the Boakel? It is the Boakel. Um Great. I thought it was originally like a French word, and then <laughs> I looked <laughs> I looked in, into at the actual book and I'm like, oh no, it's just a made up word. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So uh Holly is on a stakeout uh for the Boakel goblin triad. Um, who has been messing about in the lower elements. Uh, she is in an abandoned shoot with uh, Chicks Verbal, who you might remember as the goblin who has gold stolen from him at the end of the first Artemis Fowl book. So the chapter two title is called Cruisin' for Chicks, but but it's not like cheap, cheap chicks. It's, it's, it's his name is... C-H-I-X, for Chicks Verbal. Uh, and I didn't get that in the audiobook because those kind of puns don't really register until like much later. Uh, so anyway, I I found it very, very heartening. I was like, oh, he does care about us dad jokers. Ashley will do anything for a good pun. 
I'll do anything for a good dad joke. So Holly is stuck with Chicks Verbal, who is trying to flirt with her, but she is all, all attention to the task in front of her. God has, bless Chicks Verbal. Has Chicks do a flyby, realizes something is wrong, and goes to buzz our good friend Foley, the tech-savvy centaur of the leprechaun unit. And then a goblin shoots Chicks. Just shoots him right in the wing, uh, which is a sprite's biggest organ. I didn't know wings could be organs, but we, you know, Owen Colfer made some declarations about fairy anatomy and we got to run with it. We absolutely do. When I read that, I was like, you know what? Okay, checks out, I guess. Sure. Sure, man. (laughs) Why can't a wing be an organ? Commander Root says, Holly, leave him, get out of there. But Holly knows that sprites have weaker healing magic. So she's like, "Mm, no can do and sprints in to help him. She saves him, and that should be the end of it. She should wait for backup, but this is Captain Holly Short. She goes in guns blazing. (laughs) Backup? What's backup to Holly Short? (laughs) Holly Short has never waited for backup one day in her life, and she's not going to start now. She gets in a firefight with these goblin thugs. One of them tries to fly out of a chute, uh, C-H-U-T-E. As in the big tunnels where magma flares rise up to fly various pods up to the surface. Uh, so a goblin goes into the chute. Holly follows him. And uh, just as a magma stream is about to shoot up and scorch them all to bits. Luckily, uh, Holly saves herself with some quick thinking. There's a really beautiful description where she talks about uh, the feeling of being burned and cooled simultaneously, which I thought was personally hideous. Would not like to experience that. Um, Icy hot. Same thing. You just put some Bengay on you. (laughs) Somebody who has used a lot of Bengay. Yeah, having that happen to my whole body would be deeply unpleasant. It would be kind of unsettling. Yeah, you're right. And Holly discovers that humans and goblins are trading. Somehow they've gotten connected and they are working together. They are trading AA batteries, by the way. (laughs) The extremely dangerous cargo of AA batteries. Foley is sent to do a deeper investigation since Root blames him for a lot of what has happened. Um, In our continual quiet debate over which ship is more canon Foley and Root or Foley and Mulch you do get a a great moment here where Foley is just throwing around Root's first name and he goes oh but Julius that's grunt work and I'm like "Mm, you're gonna argue about this when you're doing dishes at home later and I understand that Work husbands. Work, work I mean, husbands. they're work husbands, but also maybe real husbands. No, just work husbands because Mulch is Foley's one true love. I, Foley and Mulch barely interact in this book, but okay. <sighs> um, if humans and goblins are trading, Holly Short puts the pieces of the puzzle together. <laughs> it's gotta be Artemis Fowl. And she no gets permission... Look, there's only one fairy, uh, one rather, there's only been one human in history who hasn't been mind wiped from his experiences with fairies. 
So it's got to be him. And she convinces Root to let her bring Artemis Fowl underground to the lower elements for interrogation. (laughs) Which is probably like the biggest whoopsie to ever whoopsie. Like, why would you why would you bring Artemis Fowl down? But like the fun thing is, is that they refuse to bring him to the police headquarters uh, they bring him to an undis- undisclosed location, which is how we get to chapter three, going underground. So we pick up in chapter three with Butler picking Artemis up from school. Uh, he debates for a moment whether he wants to have a word with the school therapist. This is like like Butler Daddy just coming out. Like it is not <laughs> Butler Daddy. It is but it is explicitly Butler older brother. This is where we get the first time of Butler explicitly in canon comparing, uh, describing Artemis as his little brother. That is true. That is true. Uh, first first time, but not the last time in canon. And he's just like Artemis. Do you want me to go and have a word with the therapist? And like Artemis is like, no, we're good. It's fine. Um. And, like, what would that kind of word look like, though? Like, would, like, just John Cena just, like, walk into the school Who <laughs> We explicitly <laughs> talked at length about who Butler is in my pro wrestling canon. And it is not. John Cena is not Butler. There is no universe in which that man is Butler. I love John Cena. He's great. Don't get me wrong. He's not Butler. I forgot this name. What's the other guy's name? Dave Batista. You forgot Dave Batista. <laughs> so anyway, Dave Batista. Like, what does a word look like? Does Dave Batista just like saunter into the the school counselor's office and like just like punch his hand into his fist? <laughs> like, what? What does that word look like? I wish we would have gotten that. But anyway, so the video is in an MPEG, uh, an MPG, which is still used today, even, you know, 15 years later. So thanks, Owen Culver. Um, The accident was over a year ago, and the poor guy, like the poor father has been in a coma for over a year. um, But he's recently woken up, and so the Russian mob has a mafia has a video and they sent the video and the sign around the guy's neck in the video um is in russian but of course both butler and artemis speak flawless russian um the sign says hello son which now, is so chilling <laughs> we know because we're smart readers and because we spoiled it for you that it is uh, artemis Fowl senior but they really try to hammer home that, like, it's a scarred man and Artemis has to look really closely and it might be his father. It's his dad. It's the tertiary plot. We're going to skip that mystery. He's going to, it's his dad. Yeah, like, it's it's 100% his dad. And this is also the chapter where we get a little bit of, like, Butler's backstory, a little bit of his lore. We, we learn that um, before uh, Artemis was his current charge, he did a lot of varied jobs, and one of them just happened to be in Russia. Um, another one happened to be as a French spy. So what has Butler not done? That is the question that I want to ask. Um, he's like he moving. hasn't married one of us, and that's a crime. Ah, uh, Dave Batista. Look, I don't need to marry Dave Batista, but I do need Dave Batista to play Butler, and then I can romanticize that. 
I, I, I do like that, yes. So Butler, of course, is hesitant uh, to save this guy who might or might not be uh foul senior spoiler is foul senior um and artemis is like i have a plan and butler is like "Mm, i remember that last plan that almost got us killed i'm not sure i like this plan but he doesn't obviously say that because he's butler um and he's just there to protect artemis during artemis's stupid stupid plans (laughs) so no, I don't think Butler <laughs> thinks Artemis's plans are stupid. Like, Butler is actively intimidated by the smile on Artemis's face. And he only says he's going to come up with a plan because Butler points out that, like, in work with Russian mafia, they'll take your ransom and then just kill whoever they're holding hostage. So that won't work. You can't just give them money. So then we, like, smash cut to Holly uh, arguing with a TSA agent about... Uh, about her bringing back two humans underground, and it is just, you just want to, like, punch the TSA agent. Here's the, the thing, right? <laughs> it's not about her bringing two humans underground. The TSA agent just doesn't want to give her a 24-hour visa because she doesn't have the right paperwork. She doesn't and, have the right paperwork. Uh, I love any scene that is just Holly Short threatening a man. It is It is good. And, like, also, like, the the agent is just... Kind of absolutely wrong here anyway. I mean, she has clearance from from Root and everything, but the TSA agent just doesn't believe her, right? Uh, she's like, no, you're just a troublemaker. I don't believe you. So Holly threatens. Uh, but no, no, she never threatens. She promises, which is better. Which is, which is better, yeah. And so then we smash cut again. There's a lot of head hopping in this chapter. Uh, We smash cut again back to Artemis and Butler trying to figure out a plan with how to get into Russia um, the quickest way possible to save um, Artemis Sr. And they mention um, uh, Moonlighting as uh, Stefan Basquier and his uncle Constantin, a chess prodigy and a chaperone. And honestly, uh, I want the adventures of Stefan Basquier so badly because it is in canon that they moonlight as this chess prodigy and his chaperone more than once. Like, multiple times going into Russia to try and find uh, his father. So, like, what did they get up to? What happened? Where did the chess prodigy go? Did he have to do some chess games there? (laughs) And so then after that, we smash cut again back to Holly. So she's back above ground, but she is greeted with a warning from Lily Frond. I would like to step back for a second because I want to talk about Lily Frond, but I also want to talk. So Holly gets back above ground. The the elf TSA agent lets her head up and she mentions there's a throwaway line that was the first indication to me that I went, oh, this is the book that Opal Cowboy is in. This is where we get the first mention of the Cowboy double deck or uh, double decks wings. And what you discover later, which is Opal Cowboy and her uh wonderful company have generously outfitted all of the uh leprechaun police force with upgraded equipment um but uh ash when i tell you i literally popped out of my chair when i saw cowboy <laughs> double decks i love opal cowboy so much and i fully forgot that this was the book that she is in like i when i say my memory is bad i mean it but also, oh boy, did I immediately get so excited. Oh yeah, and like she's she's 
deeply in this book. Um, yeah, I got <laughs> to that part. A few other things came back to me with that realization. And I went, how did I forget this? Better see what happens next. Anyway, Holly is now flying towards Foul Manor to uh, pick up Artemis and Butler. Oh, no, I thought you were also going to, like, talk about the part where Holly calls Lily Frond a bimbo. Yeah. Like, the bimbo face of the LEP. And then yeah. the exact next line is, sexism is alive. And I'm like, the call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Holly flies to Foul Manor. And on her fancy police visor, a little warning comes up that has been recorded by Lily Frond, who in the first book is the quote-unquote bimbo that they threatened to replace Holly with as the first woman on the squad. Which, spoiler, they do. (laughs) And she uh, has recorded this video, and Holly dismisses it because they're like, she. Holly is like, oh, the leprechauns only had her record this because she's the prettiest so everybody would have wanted to look at her and calls her a bimbo again and i do just have written down in all caps with an exclamation point uh bimbo rights mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. bimbo rights bimbo rights i think uh i think there is a, a universe in which i realized i was queer way earlier in which i would have shipped lily and holly uh mm-hmm. Unfortunately, this is not that universe, so I ship Holly and Artemis instead, but not an impossible universe. Not an impossible universe. I think, like, if I had first read this as an adult, I would absolutely ship Holly and Lily. 100%. When we're done recording this podcast, let's go to AO3 and see if there's any fanfics for the two of them. Yes, we have to. Okay. Uh, Okay, so then we, uh, we jump back to Butler again because Holly has found them entering the foul manor uh you know punching in the numbers for the gate code so butler had to go out and like when he goes out and punches in the gate code because for some reason they don't have a clicker it's fine this is fine it said um, 2002 <laughs> clicker technology didn't exist it did <laughs> maybe it's easier to hack uh, maybe it is uh but anyway so holly holly mesmer's butler um and this is the first time that I like really think that the Mesmer is just a little bit monstrous because Butler, Butler like fights against the Mesmer almost the entire time um, until he like finally like gives in, right? And then Butler goes back to the car and then um, Artemis is like, is something wrong? And then Holly basically shows up and Mesmer's already to sleep. I want to I want to make something very clear. Neither Butler nor Artemis is like something is wrong. Butler gets out of the car, looks up and immediately goes, "Hey fairy," knowing there's somebody there. <laughs> yeah. And then Butler gets in the car with Holly and Artemis immediately is like, "All right, fairy, show yourself. I know you're here." They both are very good at what they do. They they are. They are. Um but I I I just like I was I was struck by the implication that Butler was still aware of what was happening the entire time he's mesmered. And I just Well, he's aware of what's happening until he's mesmered. So mm-hmm. he was actively fighting it. Once he's mesmered, he's good. Yeah. But like that's just like there's just something like really insidious about that. Just just a little little tiny tiny bit because like the entire time that Butler is mesmered, he couldn't go to sleep, right? He he had to pick Artemis up, transport him 
into the uh, the like the the uh, the underground, right? So like Holly but was he using doesn't his remember body. any of that. No, no, he doesn't. But like Holly was using his body without his permission. <laughs> yeah, no, it's creepy. It's so creepy. But we skip over the part where it's creepy and head straight into Artemis and Butler below ground. Yes, uh, we do. Artemis wakes up, and in front of him is Julius Root, and Julius tries to interrogate him. And Artemis just uh, fully teases him senseless before they knock him unconscious again. Best way to deal with Artemis. Truly, uh, much easier than talking to him. While he is unconscious, Foley scans Artemis's eyes using some fancy new technology. And they realize that Artemis has nothing to do with the goblins. Gasp! Somehow. <laughs> Root then realizes, okay, if it's another human, it would help to have a human on board and suggests working with Artemis, which Holly does not like the idea of. Wow, really? I wonder why Holly doesn't like that idea. It's just maybe she was like, I don't know, kidnapped last book, you know, held for ransom. It's almost died. It's fine. They wake up Artemis catch him up on all like the underground news footage and what's been going on right now cowboy warehouses are being attacked by the goblin triad no oh, poor opal cowboy and her company poor opal cowboy and artemis agrees to help the fairies on the condition that they also help him mm-hmm but help him get to Russia because he still yes. did not have a way to get to Russia. And the quickest way to get to Russia is actually through the magma shoots. Uh, so that's, uh, that's the, that's the deal that they strike with each other. And then we go into chapter five. Then, then we, we get to, we get to my girl. Ooh, ooh, we're good. Okay. Okay. Are you sure? Are you sure? Do you need to go get hosed down real quick? We're good. Are you, are you I good? just love okay. her a lot. <laughs> um, you summarize tra- it. I can't. I can't do it. Are you sure? Are you sure? Because like you might do a, a, a better job than me at this one. Cause... No, I'll just scream a lot and interrupt if you don't give every single adjective used to describe her. It's okay. Oh my God. I didn't write down any of those. <laughs> okay. I'll start and then you can pick it up from there. So. No, 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 wait, wait. We have to start with a chapter title. The chapter Fine. title. The chapter title is called Daddy's Girl. <laughs> I love Oful Cowboy, guys. Okay, so um, we cut to over at uh, Cowboy Warehouses, uh, Opal Cowboy, who is described as brilliant, stubborn, and beautiful. She is the head of Cowboy Laboratories, uh, basically at this point, she wants to be an evil fairy queen, but, but not her fault. She was the victim of much sexism in her youth. She was not allowed to go into the industry she wanted by her family. So she, you know, secretly went, studied engineering, uh, became a mastermind, bought out his fa- her father's company from underneath him, crushed him, and then became the head of Cowboy Industries, where she is now extremely successful and wealthy, uh, and working with uh, a character from book one, Ash, if you'd like to take it from here so I don't just keep fangirling over Opal Cowboy. Yeah, so as it turns out, Owen Colford doesn't like to keep cards close to his chest. 
That is not something that he does. He telegraphs exactly what's happening. And we find out that she is working with the disgraced officer, Kudjian. You know, the acting commander Root accidentally put to sleep with his finger dart. That guy. Root's ex-best friend. Ex-best friend. And uh, we learn immediately that Opal and Kajin, they are the masterminds behind the goblet attacks. We learn, like, what their plot is. Owen Culver just does not give a single damn about keeping that mystery. Because that mystery is not a part of this plot. (laughs) That's not the tension he's going for. We, the reader, get to know. Uh, Artemis and his gang don't yet. Yes, which I think it is, like, on a craft level, it is such an interesting choice. Uh, Mostly because because we learn that, like, they are the masterminds behind the goblin attacks. This story is not, like, the, the engine is not the mystery of the goblin attacks. The engine of this story are character wants and how they, like, interact with each other, which I think is just masterful. Anyway, we're, we're going to keep going. Um, as it turns out, Opal and Kudjian have mesmered um, a down-and-out detective named Luke Carrere to supply them with AA batteries for their soft-nosed laser guns. And we learn that Opal and Kajin have like this kind of strange relation, working relationship. I would argue that Opal likes his company, mostly because it solidifies her as the smartest person in the room. And you can definitely tell that. I would agree with that. We're we're gonna get into Opal and Kajin's relationship a little bit later, because like I have some beef with Owen Colfer for like three sentences, and I need to get it out. Um <laughs> Did you establish that uh, Kudjan's face has uh, melted? You know, I I did not, uh, but that is something we do need to establish. Uh, apparently, he was on some <clears throat> drugs uh, in the first book, and those <clears throat> drugs uh, made his face go kind of wonky a little bit uh, in, a, in a reaction to the sleeping dart. So, uh, and now he's got goo face. Yeah, now he, uh, now he has a not handsome looking face. Uh, also, he's been like super demoted, like super demoted, like so super demoted. I don't think he's, he's, he's like, he's basically on janitorial squad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kind of, kind of where Holly is right now. So <laughs> go figure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that's why Kajin is working with Opal because, um, they are a match made in heaven, to be completely honest. I don't think that's true, but we'll get into that. Okay. Uh, we cut away from the maniacal giggling that ends the previous chapter. Back to Holly, Butler, and Artie. Does this chapter have a punny title? It does. Okay, okay. I Okay, thank you for letting me vent about this real quick. Um, I'm... <laughs> So the chapter title, listeners, the chapter title is called Photo Opportunity. Now, I posit that a better chapter title would have been 
photo ops, like, you know, like an mm. undercover operation, mm-hmm. but also opportunity. And I think Owen Colfer just whiffed it. Yeah, like, well, this <laughs> is still a pun, but that would have been a two for one pun. It, 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 it would have been the superior pun. Um, so petition to change this chapter title to photo ops. <laughs> for all future reprints of this book that is 20 years old. Exactly. Holly Butler and Artie uh, get into the shuttle to head back to the surface. Not a normal leprechaun shuttle, but the one that was crudely assembled by the goblins, which is not the safest. But it's the one they've got to work with. Holly also explains that there's only one rickety chute into Russia and that radiation messes with the equipment. This is important later. They head up to the surface uh, to France to go find our uh, detective. We then learn a little bit about the detective that uh, Obel Cowboy and Cudgeon have mesmered into working for them. He is an extremely inefficient private investigator. He's very bad at his job, but he likes money. And that's why they picked him. Cudgeon had mesmered him through a computer screen, didn't even need to go up there in person. And as Artemis and Holly and Butler head up to the surface, Cudgeon gets in contact with our detective again and mesmers him to the screen and goes, hey, I sent you a box. When you see Artemis or Butler, aka when somebody asks about these batteries, I want you to take a photo of them with this special camera. The camera is a gun. The camera is a gun. <laughs> I I don't know if if podcasts will flag us if we make that the title of this episode, but it would be very funny as a title. It, like I like and the, and the thing is is that like Owen Colfer never outright says it's a gun until like Butler sees it. <laughs> until the end of the chapter. Yeah. But we're almost there, don't worry. Yeah. So the foul squad lands in Paris and they get to work. Butler makes Artemis stay behind with Holly because he is just a risk. This is a Butler-only job. And Butler heads into Paris. There's a a moment of sympathy for what the fairies gave up as he breathes in this fresh air. And honestly, Butler thinks if the fairies tried to reclaim this, humanity would be screwed. Like, it's a really good thing most fairies are anti-war, Uh, He describes fairies as peace-loving. Now, I think that's really funny. Because the main fairy he's interacted with is Holly Short, who is ready to fight a man at any moment. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, like, I guess because Holly doesn't want to kill anything, which is why he thinks it's peace-loving. Yeah. Butler, who is ready to kill... And that's the difference. Holly's ready to fight a man. Butler's ready to kill a man. man. (laughs) And that's the difference. Those are the two genders. You're either ready to fight a man or you're ready to kill a man. man. That's it. That's it. We're there. Uh, And uh, speaking speaking of Holly for a second, we also learned that Holly's own father passed away 20 years ago. Um, And uh, she's 80 now, by the way. Holly is 80. She's an old lady. Right. But young by fairy standards. But young by fairy standards. And so, like, when I was reading that part, I was struck with, like, sudden sadness because, like, this is a sad friendship on, Wait, on Holly's part. The 
the romance writer whose books are all about grief was struck by a sudden sadness at the passing of a parent. <laughs> Shut up, Nicole. I liked it when we were arguing better, okay? I'm just going to ignore you. For for Holly's part, if she if she decides to have a friendship with Artemis Fowl, it's going to be a really sad friendship because like human lives are like gone in a blink, right? And she's gonna live for like centuries more. And so like it's 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 doomed. It's it's a sad friendship. And I, anyway, I just Look, my headcanon is that when Artemis is an acceptable age, he gets the Aragon treatment and suddenly becomes Elven immortal. Back in Paris. Uh, Butler finds our inept detective, asks about batteries, and he, our detective is like, this is the guy, and goes to shoot him with his fancy fairy gun. Mm-hmm. Butler thinks really quick on his feet and manages to stop the bullet and also manages to save the detective's life. He quickly asks Luke some questions confirms that he's the one no 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 he he asks questions posing as a doctor <laughs> true he asks questions posing as a doctor uh confirming that this is the dude smuggling the batteries but not that he really knew what fairies were um and posing as a doctor tracks his pulse as a method of lie detection uh, and flees before the police arrives, leaving our poor inept detective with a deep and sudden fear that his life is about to crumble around him. Which, yes, yes, it will. Um, also, I want to note that this chapter has a lot of, like, time skipping. Like, a lot of time skipping. Like, we get... We get, like, a few scenes that happen, like, at the beginning of this ordeal. We get, like, one scene, like, that happens at the beginning of like the goblin deal and then we have like the scene with butler and and luke right like so i never want to hear anyone say that kids can't follow a non-linear plot because because <laughs> man i was like oh this happens in the past and it's just it just happens and i love that i love that for us i love like going back in time and then going forward again it's just context and then we, we head back to the Foul Squad War Room. We do for Chapter 7, Connecting the Dots. I've connected them. I, everyone, like Artemis is connecting them. Um, I want to, so, so in the very first sentence of, the, of Chapter 7, um, Root points a finger of authority <laughs> at Holly, and I just... I just highlighted finger of authority because like we all know what that finger of authority is. <laughs> this is also the same chapter that we get Butler referring to his uh, hands as Mr. Fist. So <laughs> I think there must have just been some sort of like energy in that war room for the boys because they were their hands were up to some mischief. They were definitely up to some mischief. Um, so Holly obviously gets blamed for everything, always. And Artemis uh, is the only person in that entire war room who thinks that, like, this is too easy. He, he points it out. He's like, listen, this is, don't you think this is too easy? And, like, Root's like, nah. <laughs> so funny. And before Artemis can even, like, argue his point, Foley is like, ho ho, I have news about your video file. 
Yes, and so Foley has triangulated uh, where the video file was sent from, and so what they decide to do is they decide to do a rescue mission to help Artemis to complete their deal. Uh, and Root decides to go himself because he says, and quote, um, he doesn't want any of the other leprechaun officers like in danger. But we also know Root from the first book that he is a sucker for like putting himself like in the middle of like an adventure. So he basically just reinstates himself again because he like he always wants to return to the field. And so you like you you know, he just wanted some action. He's like, I would say he doesn't reinstate himself because this is not an official on the books leprechaun. Yeah, but he's like, I'll I'll do it. Put me in the line of fire. I'm ready. Basically, he's like, I'm I'm rearing to go. Uh, and Holly goes too, obviously, because uh, Artemis is involved. Uh, and, and they're cut from the same cloth. Uh, and then we skip to uh, your favorite girl again, Opal and uh, Kajin. And they have a heart to heart at the shooting range. Um, talking about their nefarious plans. <laughs> and by heart to heart... Uh, Kudgeon makes it really clear how much he hates Root and goblins, but he'll use them to achieve his ends, and Opal is like, wow, you're pathetic. Yep, yep, that's, like, you know, listen, that is, to me, that is the definition of a (laughs) heart-to-heart. One of you says something true, and the other one goes, wow, you're bad. (laughs) Yeah, you're pathetic. (laughs) You're a loser. Uh, so, so, so Kajin, <laughs> so right after he basically says, I hate goblins, he goes to a goblin general named Scalene and he's like, listen, I want you to off route. Who's going up to the Arctic to save, to like do something. Right. Uh, and like Scalene is like, haha, I will do this. And so then we jump back to Butler and Artemis, uh, the foul squad, um, and we get an entire scene where they're just talking about the radiation in the Arctic and putting on like anti-radiation suits and Butler gets sprayed down with the with anti-radiation foam, which comes into play later, by the way. Yeah, it's- do you do you think radiation, given that it's now been mentioned twice and we know Culfer's rule of threes from the first book, do we think it's gonna be important later? I'm keeping a tally. I'm keeping a tally. He, uh, and also Butler, uh, gets a fashionable moon belt, which is, uh, mentioned once, but we will keep a tally on that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause Foley, uh, down, uh, in, uh, in the lower elements gave, uh, gave Butler, uh, some, some toys and maybe, maybe Butler might be enjoying this a little too much, Artemis suspects. Foley, an honorary member of the Foul Squad. Absolutely. And then we get to chapter eight. Chapter 8. Does Chapter 8 have a punny title that should be noted, Ash? It does, actually. (laughs) Would you like to uh, give us the pun? I would, I would. It's called To Russia With Gloves. (laughs) So, we cut over to Mikhail, who is our Russian mafia man, babysitting Fowl Sr., and he's told to move Artemis Fowl Sr. to the drop point. They're not happy about it. They think it's too early to do that. But off off Artemis Fowl Sr. is whisked away. Artemis is moved to the drop point and the Fowl Squad arrives in the Arctic. They suit up because fairies can't shield 
with this much radiation around. They land and they set out and Holly and Artemis proceed to have a conversation that I have described in my notes both as an earnest heart-to-heart and definitely not flirting. Uh, Listeners, it's definitely flirting. Look, I know this is a middle grade book. I know we're adults now. But when I was 11 and I was reading this book, I was like, they're flirting and I ship it. And I stand by that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, same. Like 100%. It might be flirting. It might just be friendship. But you know what? There's something there. There's something there. There's a really beautiful moment, though, where uh, Holly asks Artemis, is your father like you? Oh, and Artemis realizes immediately what she's asking and looks Holly in the eye and goes, I made a mistake. And Holly's mind is temporarily turned off. Uh, and like, I, I think it's so great that like we as the reader also don't know if he's like manipulating us because Artemis is a master manipulator, which we find out in the very first chapter. So like, I love how like we're with Holly at that point And we're like, is Artemis telling the truth? Because like Owen does not put us in, in Artemis's head. He puts us in Holly's. It's true. But it. also uh, Artemis is my soft baby boy. And I know he is telling the truth. Yeah. I'll be like, we know now, but like, I, I yeah. love the, the device and the how, narrative and how choice. That, yeah. Yeah. The, and how the scene played out. As Holly and Artemis finish their conversation, Butler's spidey senses turn on and he realizes dun, 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 they are under attack from goblins. Oh, no. He realizes as well in this moment that their weapons no longer work. Oh, no. Holly and Root whip out their leprechaun weapons, and it seems they've been disabled. I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that Covoy Industries recently upgraded everything. Hmm. This is also where um, Artemis versus the Snow Mound begins its epic tale. (laughs) Yes. So... Butler thinks quick, realizes that they are caught in a trap. They go to sprint and take cover under a hanging, but that is the trap. And Butler very quickly grabs Holly and Artemis by the scruffs of their neck and hurls them out into the landscape so that they don't get crushed under a veritable ton of snow. And yes, this is our first moment of Artemis v. Nature, Artemis v. Snowdrift. Holly lands just fine. Artemis lands ass up in the snow he is not having a good time he is not a boy of nature that's for sure uh root is hurt and butler has been knocked unconscious but holly does some quick thinking and there's a train coming around the corner a very radioactive train but you gotta work with what you have so also by this point the moon belt has been mentioned twice (laughs) moon belt has been mentioned twice now also at this point those uh radioactive suits holly's got a hole in hers and uh the magic is healing her but her magic as we all know is a finite resource so holly comes up with this scenario where she gets on the train she has like a string connecting her and Root. Root has Butler and they just need to get in the train and pull as it's rounding a corner and the momentum from the train will yank Butler and Root onto the train. It's a little bit convoluted 
Tiny bit. Tiny bit. It's fine. The important thing is train go fast, yank people. Yank people. It's it's like a slingshot almost. Yes. And with the moon belt, they're like kind of weightless a bit. It's kind of like they're on the moon. Yeah. Um, But in order to get into the train and hold on to Root and Butler, she needs help. She needs Artemis, who is described as her least favorite mud boy, to pour acid on the locks separating uh, the train train locks to get them in. He does it. It's a struggle. He's not used to climbing around. Uh, But he gets them inside of the train. The momentum propels everybody into the... Uh, what is it? Uh, into the train car. Uh, but Artemis lands on Holly by accident, is knocked unconscious. But as he hits her, he hits the exact spot where her magic flows and it detracts the magic from Holly over to Artemis, stopping her from being able to heal herself from radiation and maybe uh, something, something else. Uh, yeah, so so we we definitely learned here that when um, Artemis uh, lugged Holly inside and slammed the door closed, um, not all of her made it inside. And 12-year-old me was like, oh no, they just bisected Holly short because it's, it reads listeners like like not like like she she was missing half of her that's what it reads like (laughs) and then uh as everybody up on the surface falls unconscious we look back below ground to foley oh no before that nile kills his goblin cohorts Oh, yeah, I didn't think I didn't write that down because I was like, yeah, sure, the goblins kill each other, whatever. This is not relevant to the overall story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah. so there there were three goblins and then Nile is like, bam, bam, shoots them in the back. Yeah. So in chapter nine, no safe haven. It's funny because the main city of the lower elements is called Haven. We only mentioned this once, podcast listeners, last episode. So in case you didn't understand the pun, I've explained it this time. Yay! You are useful, Nicole. I'll kill you. (laughs) Please do. I want to escape this mortal coil. Uh, This is when everybody starts shipping us, isn't it? Okay. Okay, so chapter nine picks up with just fully being just an absolute jackass. So he invites, uh, he doesn't invite, but so he's, he's, you know, in his little like, you know, headquarters and then someone comes to visit him and oh, gasp, it's, it's Kudgeon. And like Foley is, you know, on top of the world right now is kind of like, you know, he needs to pick me up. So he decides to be an absolute jerk face to Kudgeon and make fun of him. <laughs> he makes fun of Kudgeon. And now when we say that Kudgeon has come into Foley's office, the important thing to remember about Foley that we mentioned last episode listeners, but uh, it, it's more apparent when you're reading the books, is that Foley is an extremely paranoid centaur. Yep. So there's only one way in and one way out. It's a room that I would say is uh, would be hard to lock down if you're not a super genius. But if you are a super genius, would be really easy to say, like, I don't know, lock a paranoid centaur into it. Exactly. <clears throat> and so... Uh... We find ourselves now um, in this like bunker, like ops room, uh, and 
Oli is just, you know, being the smartest jackass in the room, right? Um, until the LEP guns uh, decide to turn off. And he's like, oh, no, what's happening? And um, Kudjan is just like, surprise, bitch. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> put a gun to Foley's head. One that does work. One that absolutely does work because it has that, uh, that, that double A power, right? All, all my guns are powered by double A batteries. Double A batteries. It's it's fantastic. And so uh with with that happening, Foley's like, well, crap. And then we jump cut to Artemis and he wakes up uh to find that he's accidentally took all of Holly's magic when he when he faints on her. Um and so she couldn't heal herself. And we find out what exactly was missing uh from her when when she came into the train. It's it's her shooting finger. It's her trigger finger. Pew pew. Which which is so funny because apparently when it gets lopped off with the with the with the door closing, it like flies back and hits root in the face. <laughs> so they still have the trigger finger, by the way. Would you say that Holly gave Root the finger? Oh, oh, okay. You need to leave now. I, it viscerally upsets me, Ash, that so far in both recordings, I've made more puns than you. Yeah, yeah. This is, um, this is also upsetting me as well. This is also, I realized also, this will be different for other book series, but since we started with Artemis Fowl, everybody is going to think I'm the punny one and the one who wants to sleep with all the villains. And those are supposed to be your things. I know. Like, it's like we have, we have done a switcheroo and you are, you are doing all my good puns. So, so speaking of puns, um, Artemis is feeling really foul right now about himself because, (laughs) uh, because he did take all of Holly's magic and he does actively feel really bad about it. And Root doesn't believe that he feels really bad about it. Right. Like, like Root thinks that, Oh, you did it on purpose. And Artemis is like, no, actually I didn't like, and Artemis uh, decides to try and save Holly's trigger finger. Um, and so they, so long story short, Holly has some contraband on her, basically an acorn. No, let's not long story short that. Artemis goes, you know what Holly is? Really smart. And she doesn't make the same mistakes twice. Yep. Let's not skip that. Holly, uh, Artemis looks at Holly and goes, yeah, that's my equal. She would be prepared for this again. And and she is uh, with with contraband, which is an acorn and some dirt, right in a in a glass uh, vial. Uh, and so they're like, okay, we just need to we just need to like bury this thing, and you know, then she's gonna have her magic back. It's gonna be fine. But guys, we gotta we gotta get off this train first. Um, also, we're in the Arctic, and we're in the Arctic. So, FML. Uh, and meanwhile, meanwhile, um, Foley is just not having a good time. Foley's having a very bad time, actually. He finds out that Kajin is working with his arch BFF, because I, I do think they were BFFs in, in, in university. Let's just, let's just it, clear the air. I think they were friends until they weren't. <laughs> Opal and Foley are the epitome of frenemies because they have too much in common. Absolutely. 100%. Like something happened in university with them too to like make them arch rivals, but they are, but I, I, I have it in my notes that they are arch BFFs. <laughs> so, uh, so Foley is like, no, of course, like Opal was one step ahead of me here because I let my guard down. Uh, and so anyway, 
they get off the train. Artemis lands in another snowdrift. Uh, this is two, by the way. <laughs> two snowdrifts. <laughs> We're counting. And they bury the acorn. Holly gets healed. And then immediately wakes up and punches Artemis. <laughs> I... The the way Holly gets healed as well is it's not that just they bury the acorn. Root, like, in a very Jack Sparrow, Will Turner in Pirates of the Caribbean 3 moment, takes the acorn and, like, puts it in Holly's hand and makes her bury it so that the magic knows to go to her. And mm. it's very sweet. And also gave me Pirates of the Caribbean energy, which I'm always here for. Oh, you d- you are a sucker for Pirates of the Caribbean. I love me place. a Kira Knightley movie. Um, I- I'm a sucker for like little character moments. And so when like Holly wakes up before he gets punched in the face, he like grabs Holly by the shoulders and, and he asks if she's okay. And it says like he abandons his icy composure for the first time. And I'm like, yes, Artemis. <laughs> Listeners, you can't see me quietly clapping so that I don't ruin your audio experience. Um, it's the first time you see Artemis just fully give in to the compulsion of friendship, and it's so good. And he it's gets so rewarded good. with another punch in the face, and that's also so good. So good, and he goes into another snowdrift, so that's his third one. <laughs> it's, it's Artemis Zero Snowdrift 3, just, just so we have a count. Um, and... As it turns out, uh, Foley's not faring any better than Artemis at this point. Um, Foley and Opal have a little like verbal fight, right? Because Opal is on the screen and Foley's like, how dare you? And Opal is like, hey, hey I beat you. And Foley learns that they are about to pin everything on him. Like literally everything because he is in the ops room. He has... Uh, he is he is technically quote unquote in control of all of the guns and all of the security, but because Opal uh, did a retrofit of the entire um, headquarters, she actually has control over everything. By the by, but the police don't know that because Foley can't get any any communications to the outside world, and this is also where I think Foley gets shocked pretty bad by his own security system. Correct. He uh, he wakes up and realizes he has to get in contact with Holly and he has to let her know what's going on. But we also need to know what's going on in the world of Haven. And that is when we go to the next chapter. Uh, but m- more importantly than the return of Captain Trouble Kelp is the return of Spud Spud Emporium. All my homies go to Spud Spud Emporium. <laughs> So, Trouble Kelp, who you might remember as the officer who uh, was fully trounced by Butler in book one, uh, is at Spud Spud Emporium and orders the Leprechaun unit there to retreat because they are out of guns and starts to mentally realize that everything might be Foley's fault as Mm -hmm. well. But also we learn that Trouble has a younger brother named Grub and Trouble is a good big brother because that's half the reason why well, he calls the retreat. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, we we knew he was a good big brother in book one, too. That is one of his like two defining traits is his name is Trouble and he's a good big brother. Meanwhile, the Foul Squad realizes that they have to get back underground. Foley manages to con... Uh, no, Foley do- hasn't even contacted them by nope. this point. Uh but they realize that if their weapons are out, something underground is happening. Mm-hmm. So Artemis is reluctant to give up on the quest to save his father. Uh, but Butler nudges him and is like, look, 
if they don't have their weapons, if they don't have their magic, we don't have the advantage going into it. And Holly actively has a moment where she's like, I get it. I understand. But like, we can do this. Like, we can go save everything down there and then we will come get your father back. Yeah. And like, at this point, like Artemis thinks like it is a matter of time before the mafia kills his father, which is true. Like they're, they're on like a time crunch. So like he is basically like trusting someone else for the first time. Yes, we get, it's it's a couple chapters from now, but we do get a moment where Artemis realizes for the first time that he's like part of a team. And it's great, but it's great. but at the moment, Holly uh, tries to console Artemis and says it's always darkest before the dawn. And Artemis has this great quip in return. And he says, uh, what dawn? We're in the Arctic, remember? So like dark night, the soul moment for Artemis. He is just, He's depressed. He's like, oh, but he's trusting his fellow fighters anyway. Yes, he's trusting the squad. Back in Haven, Foley is heaving theatrics for the camera for Opal Cowboys Entertainment, but he manages to get Artemis Fowl's laptop, which he had gotten earlier to help trace the video of his father, into the camera's blind spot so that he can start tinkering around with it. Which is why he thing. does the the theatrics, yeah. Because it's the only thing in his office that probably hasn't been touched by Cowboy. Cowboy and Cudgeon, meanwhile, are just daydreaming about ruling the world in a very brief scene. Mm-hmm. And it's imperative for you to mention that Cowboy is curled into a chair like a cat. Oh, yes. This entire time, Cowboy is in a floating chair and she's curled up like a cat. And I love that for her. I think she should be as comfortable as she wants to be. The Foul Squad gets a text from Foley explaining everything that's happening underground, that they're blaming him, that uh, if this is a wrong number, don't bother to reply. Um, Artemis puts the pieces together and makes the declaration that they need to break into Cowboy Laboratories. Root says that's impossible. There's only one person who's known how to do it, and that's Mulch Diggums, and isn't he dead? <laughs> Holly Short's like, uh, about that. <laughs> uh, hmm. uh, turns out Mulch Diggums is very much alive, and he's living in L.A. My my note for chapter 11 is strictly just says your homeboy returns. Which is true. So chapter 11 uh, t- is titled Mulch Ado About Nothing, which is so delightful. Okay, so we flash to Mulch living his high life in LA, you know, stealing Oscars from celebrity houses as you do. He's moonlighting as this uh, like... A professional cat burglar called the Grouch, and so he's trying to collect <laughs> collect them all, uh, like like Pokemon, right? He's collecting, you know, uh, an Oscar for best screenwriting, for best you know supporting actress, all of these. And so the last one, his White Whale, is 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 best uh, best actress in, in a drama, and so he goes to go steal uh, an Oscar from this. Uh, this actress uh named maggie v and uh it's it's just really hilarious meanwhile uh our intrepid foul squad are trying to get to la 
But the problem is, is that from the Arctic, it's kind of hard to get to LA because there aren't many shoots open anymore and there aren't really um, any, uh, any like emergency ports open either. So they're going to have to think real hard on how to like connect the tunnels and connect the dots to get over to where they need to be. And so as it turns out, they have to uh, open up a, uh, a, any, an emergency chute uh, that's been closed. But anyways, they have to blow open a chute, but they don't have any weapons to blow open the sh- to blow open the chute because Root wanted to travel in style. So instead, uh, they have some concussive uh, eggs from um, the moon belt that Foley gave Butler, but uh, they need to get outside of the pod to actually place them. And Root's like, "I'll go. I'll do it. You have to fly this 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 bird, Holly." And Holly's like, "Oh boy, this is a bad idea." So, so, so Root Root uh, goes out of a uh, of the of the pod, and the entire time he's like putting the concussive shot, the concussive eggs, like in the in the shoot door. He's just thinking about how much he's going to just murder Mulch. He's just he's just thinking about how much he just absolutely is going to uh to skin him alive. Uh, and that's the only thing that keeps him alive, basically, is his is his will to uh, to to see his arch nemesis and love of his life, Mulch. Uh, meanwhile, Mulch manages to steal the Oscar from Maggie V. Sorry, did is... you just throw that root that Mulch is the love of Root's life? Is yeah. this a new ship manifesting for you? Because you were arguing real hard for Foley Mulch last episode. Um, just so we're clear, I believe in multiple ships. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think there's like, you know, a will they won't they happening with like Root and Mulch too. You Root know, because... and Mulch has a great energy and I'm way more on board with that than I am fully Mulch because there's a lot more uh, canon to back that up. You just, you, you just. A lot more first see... names being thrown around by Mulch uh, than when Foley and Mulch are interacting, you know? You just like, you, you just don't see the long game. You just don't see the long game yet, but you will. You will see the long game. So uh, Mulch steals the Oscar and goes back home and is like, yeah, I did this. This is great. Oh, yeah. By the way, while he's stealing the Oscar, uh, he talks in dog to the guard dog. Let's take a step back for a second. Mulch goes to steal the Oscar sets off a trap and a bunch of dogs show up that he escapes by farting towards the ceiling and then convincing the dogs to attack their own handler. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I was, I was trying to like paraphrase it. Right. Because like most does a lot of farting in this, uh, in, in this book. So I would I argue to... that his, his main skill is his ability to fart. You know what? You, you are not wrong. Um, but it sounds like a great musical note later. So, you know, there's, there's always that. Uh, so we think that Molt is in the clear as he goes home and he's like, yes, I have finally completed my collection. And he walks into his, uh, penthouse apartment and lo and behold, he has a guest. Now, listeners, do you want to know who that guest is? I do. I do. Who is it? It's Artemis Fowl! It is who Molt has literally never met before. So there's... (laughs) There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of confusion. And Mulch is just like, what is happening here? And But like Mulch is like, it's a trap. And and uh, and, and he's like, you'll never take me alive. And, and Artemis thinks, oh dear, Hollywood has something to answer for. Um, if like this is the, the burglar that's been stealing everything. 
So anyway, uh, Mulch tries to escape, but then he runs into Holly, who is like, sup, bro, you're not gonna, you're, you're not gonna be leaving. Uh, we need your help. And Mulch is like, he'll never take me alive again. And Holly is like, bet. Uh, and tases him. <laughs> so uh, there's also a really great moment in that that chapter when when they rescue root from the shoot explosion and holly goes to start flying again and i don't remember i think it's butler who clocks it but describes uh holly's smile as she sets off towards danger as resembling artemis's oh yeah and Mm -hmm. it's so good because they are two sides of the same coin so chapter 12 is a title i did write down because it's boys are back the boys are back can we um edit in the high school musical three song here within the legal limits of what we're allowed to do yes Woo! make up the neighborhood yeah Um, if not we can just sing it ourselves Cudgeon taunts Foley back in Haven. Foley records his threats and admittance of hating Opal Cowboy, something that I would never do, uh, and records it on Artemis's webcam on his laptop. Meanwhile, Root is talking Mulch into helping him. Great, they agree. They're all on the same page. A mildly, I think Ash would argue, flirty conversation, but they get there. Very flirty. Are you kidding me? I was like, mwah, mwah, mwah. Yes. In Haven, Cudgeon is going to go wave the white flag and sacrifice himself to the goblins to negotiate peace while the leprechauns are trying to break into Foley's office. So Foley knows he is on limited time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. back hmm But back in the shuttle, we got the foul squad and they're, and they're trying to figure out how to break into Opal Cowboy's uh, headquarters through a fissure uh, that opens and closes with heat. Um, That is how Mulch got in last time. Uh, If they fly through it improperly, it'll fry them. Yep. So it's a good thing they've got a crack, uh, crack ace pilot Holly Short on their team. This is also the moment where... Artemis describes Holly as being pretty in a black widow sort of way. And boy, did Artemis just learn something about himself. I love it. Mm-hmm. But like, it's not only pretty in like a black widow sort of way. He's like in a dangerous way, in yeah. a black widow way. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> he clocks himself. Well, uh, Artemis, much like me, likes a woman who can beat him up. And that's okay. And we respect that for him. We, we we do. We do. He likes being the smartest guy in the room, but not the guy in charge. <laughs> the chapter ends with Cudgeon just back with the goblins scheming about what to do next. Uh, but more importantly, we then head over to the Foul Squad, now with bonus Foul Squad member Mulch Diggums, breaking into Cowboy Laboratories. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to include one of the best Opal Kobe like lines in this entire book. Kajin, uh says at the end of chapter 12 that Opal Koboy can never be happy as second in command. And I think that just- It's true. Uh, absolutely. Like just- Yeah, I- I think I I so dismiss Cudgeon even, and I remember doing this at age 11 as well, where I was like, you're not the important one here. <laughs> that like Cudgeon makes that observation about Cowboy and I'm like, that's true. And also, yeah, and you're going to die. Like 
you're thinking it because you think you have to take Opal out. You're a fool. She'll kill you. And we will get into, we'll get into my feelings on some of the decisions Owen Colfer makes with her character near the end of the book when we get there. Uh, But for the moment, Foul Squad breaking into uh, Cowboy Laboratories. Yeah, so, okay, so we go to chapter 13, and the title is called Into the Breach, which is also happens to be one of my favorite quests in Dragon Age Inquisition. So, uh, the Motley crew is about to sneak into Cowboy Labs. Um, Holly does some badass flying, uh, and they sneak into the foundation rods beneath the labs, because as it turns out, Mulch and his cousin nephew anyway another family member they were hired by 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 opal to uh to to construct uh the foundation of the labs and obviously they cut corners because they were the cheapest people which is really funny considering that's exactly what the what the what the lep did when in hiring opal is that she like was the was the cheapest bid (laughs) and so that's why they hired her so it's just coming back to bite her in the ass which is hilarious so apparently the titanium rides that are um that are that are holding up the foundation of the uh, labs um they're not entirely titanium rods Look, they're kind of made it's a secret of- manure shoot that's it what is. it is. it is it's a secret manure shoot we don't need to get into the technicalities it's a secret hole made of poop Yep, it's just it's just a bunch of sewage. So after the Motley crew finds this out, we go back to Foley, who is in desperate straits at this point. Um, he doesn't know if his SOS reached Artemis. He is just like, I'm either going to die here or I'm going to go down with this ship, right? Uh, and his entire name, his reputation, his legacy will be ruined forever. So the Motley crew leave um, Artemis in the shuttle with Mulch. Kind of. So Mulch goes with them to go through the sewer uh, chute, and then he's going to come back to the pod. And meanwhile, Artemis is just going to stay in the pod because he can't do anything uh, at all. Because he, like, he's it's 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 best for him to just stay back. Holly gives a very encouraging speech to him and realizes that Artemis isn't used to being on a team and that he's trying his best. He is absolutely trying his best. And like we have this like really cool bit when they get to the top of the sewer chute when they're about to go and fight these goblins that Holly, Root, and Butler, um, they have like a hand in the middle hoo-ha sort of sort of deal where it's like, okay, team hand in the middle, let's go. Um, before they go in guns blazing. Uh, and the sentence that I love from this chapter is 200 goblins versus our virtually unarmed three heroes. It was going to be close. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, it's, it's such a good moment. So Opal obviously gets wind of the intruders when like the foul squad starts like blasting everything. By blasting, I, I kind of mean like not blasting because like half of them don't have their guns, but 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 Butler does. They're just like going through it with their fists usually. Uh, and meanwhile, Artemis is still uh, back in the pod and he's having a really big think. He's like, I don't want to be useless. I want to do something. I have to do something. And he did only agree to stay in the shuttle under the condition that uh, he'll stay unless he has an idea. Under big quotes, yeah, unless he has an idea. And boy, howdy, is this an idea. So his big thing gets interrupted by Mulch in pain, uh, who has a blockage in his gut, 
right? And so Artemis is like, oh no. So Artemis basically crawls up through this chute too to try and like save Mulch because he thinks something is happening to Mulch. Mulch is like, oh no, I have a gut blockage. It's terrible. Take off my shoe and pull my right toe. And Artemis is like, what? It's like do it, uh, but before Artemis can do that, uh, he gets a he gets a gun right like pressed right in the middle of his uh, of his uh, forehead, and this is the first time probably ever Artemis goes cross-eyed. Um. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, and uh, so we 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 so it turns out that Nile, yes, the same Nile that killed his goblin brothers. Uh, has found our 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 little Artie and has a gun stuck between his for his his eyes and uh and he's like ah mud boy come quietly and Artemis is still holding on to Mulch's second toe and squeezes it and I think it's really funny that Artemis just refuses to acknowledge what happened. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Artemis is like, I just shot a poop bullet and something bad happened and I'm not going to think about it. <laughs> and he doesn't. He's like, he, he doesn't talk for like a good solid minute. He just refuses to think about it. He's just not going to. We get a brief moment after this where Butler tells Root and Holly that he's going to buy them some time by single-handedly fist fighting all of these goblins. I and Holly tells Butler that they are now even for the kidnapping, that Artemis and Butler have done their part. They're all square now. Artemis, meanwhile, looks around and realizes that his friends are in some deep trouble. What's his solution? Why? He's going to break into the security headquarters. How is he going to do this? By climbing through the radioactive DNA cannon pipes that are running all throughout Cowboy Laboratories. Yep. It turns out, he realizes very quickly, that there's much more to heroism than just charging in. He's coming up with plans, but they're not as well thought out as they usually are. Like, Mulch is like, do you have a, a plan to get out? And he's like, oh, I haven't thought that far. This is the first time that Artemis hasn't thought of an escape plan. It's And wild. it's because he's trying to be a good team member. He's trying to help. He's trying to get in there. Luckily, Mulch helps him with his super cool... Uh, kinetic hair that can unlock any lock and butler meanwhile is literally just fist fighting goblins literally fist fighting goblins artemis wants to help has to help so after a brief panic attack as he climbs through the plasma alone that this is going to be the end of his life and he'll die alone and nobody will remember him and nobody ever cared about him and oh my god what am i doing 63 pulls. He has to he has to go 63 pulls and he counts every one of them. 63 pulls meaning uh pulling himself forward. He's not standing yeah. in one spot like doing reps. No, no, no. He's yeah, he he's like crawling through the the uh, radioactive DNA cannon. Uh after that brief panic that he's going to die alone, Artemis gets to the security room, gets in, can see people inside, and he can also see a screen of all of his friends fighting. Which, uh-oh, which, did we, did we, uh, acknowledge that, like, Molt had to spray Artemis down with the, with the anti-radiation? No, I didn't mention that the DNA spray, the radioactive spray came back and that Molt doused Artemis in it. Third so time, third, third time. time. Very subtle, not, like, super relevant to the main plot telling of the story, but boy is Owen Call for good at the rule of threes. 
So good. So good. And so we go back to uh, to Fowl, who connects with Foley. Uh, and he's like, okay, Foley, we, we, we gotcha. We, we, we heard you loud and clear. Give me a plan. I got five seconds. Um, listeners, he did not have five seconds. <laughs> he had, a he had maybe two, uh, because the goblins, um, find him, uh, in the control room where they're all at, by the way, like Artemis was just creeping around, uh, and the goblin generals are there and Opal is there. And, and yeah, so uh, it's, it's a good thing that Foley actually does have a plan. And his plan is to broadcast Cudgeon's plans to everyone. And so he does it first to the, uh, the, the security ops room where the goblin generals are. And so the goblin generals are like, oh, you lied to us. And then Cudgeon's like, okay, Opal, just, just turn on the DNA cannons. Just, just do it. They do. And, um... The goblin generals are taken down along with every other goblin that was fighting uh, the intrepid foul squad. And Artemis is taken captive, obviously. Okay, readers, close your eyes. I need you to picture Dave Batista looking a little ragged because he just fought 200 goblins. So that nice press suit that he started this chapter in, it's a little torn. The ties, the tie's been loosened around the collar, you know. The cuffs have been rolled up. And he sees through the window his charge. That is his little brother. That is the person he is supposed to protect on the other side of a door that Holly and Root tell him point blank is impenetrable. He can't get through that door. He's just going to have to watch. But this is Butler. Butler just knocks it down. Butler charges at it like a bull and it crumples beneath his fury. And this is what I will never get to see because the original Artemis Fowl movie was so bad. But these are the things I dream about is Dave Bautista surrounded by knocked out goblins and two very cool elves just ready to wage war and crumpling architecture. It's it's really fantastic. Uh, like the, the, the book says that the doors are rhinoceros proof, but they're not butler proof. So Foley calls Artemis' cell and is, uh, and like Artemis immediately is like, that's mine. That's mine. And- <laughs> I think it's mine. Uh, and then hands it over to Opal Cowboy and goes, it's for you. Yeah, it's for you. And then like Foley, the devious, the devious uh, centaur he is, just replays Kajian's like audio file plan that he had recorded. Um to to opal and uh and of course kajin's plan is to kill opal and so when opal hears that she's like no way no way okay i need to talk about this moment for a second yeah so there's a moment earlier that i didn't touch on but where uh opal cowboy is sitting curled up in her chair and she's giggling and she's looking at kajin and she's like he's so evil uh he's so ugly but he's so evil and she's like having a good time right but this is a book that has established that Opal Cowboy not only is a genius operating at a higher level than almost everybody in her universe, but also that she has a discriminate uh, a history of men discriminating against her. You're telling me she didn't expect him to betray her? That she was so surprised by this? The chapter ends with Opal hurling herself at Cudgeon and like fighting him like a cat, which is an awesome visual, don't get me wrong. And I do agree that Opal should be allowed to beat him up. However, 
Owen Colfer, you're telling me that the character you repeatedly describe as ruthless and brilliant, who took down her own father, who has been running rings around everybody else, didn't expect Cudgeon to betray her when she didn't even like him, when she thought he was actively pathetic and ugly but evil? Mm. No. 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 I will I will rebut that. Go and ahead, I will do. yes, yes. And I will I will actually say that I think it makes perfect sense because Opal thinks that she is the smartest person in the room. And so she didn't even think that Kajun would would be any kind of like adversary, right? Like she didn't even think of Kajun as an adversary because he was always a tool. Mm-hmm. And you don't think tools will 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 hurt, you know, the person using the tool. So I think that this is not an oversight fair. on her part here, but I think in future books, she's not going to let that happen again. She also learns from her mistake. I think Opal Cowboy has girl power, but not girl ethics. I like that. That should be her slogan. Girl power, her. but not girl ethics. <laughs> girl, not, yeah. Maybe not that's the podcast ethics. title. Girl power, but not girl but not ethics. Not girl ethics. <laughs> Uh, sometimes I feel the same way about Holly. So yeah. Oh, absolutely. If you're wondering, uh, listeners, what Nicole's favorite type of female character is, it's girl power, but not girl ethics. We found it. We found it. Um, yeah. So, uh, Opal throws herself at Kudgeon, indulging. One of the things I love about Opal as a character is she's a super genius and also fully indulgent to all of her feelings at all times. So I do like that she immediately beats him up yeah and i like how like she like like this entire book uh she's been set up as a foil for kudgeon but she's actually a foil no no she was set up as a foil for foley but instead she's a foil for artemis and i kind of really love that opal uh propels her floating chair at kudgeon and knocks him into the now reactivated uh radioactive sludge so Mm -hmm. kudgeon is no more. So they realize that they need to knock Opal Cowboy out. So Holly Short does what she does best and just punches Opal in the face and KOs her. And it's like so funny because like Root's like, is she unconscious? And Holly looks down at her and just slams her fist into her face. It's like, yeah, now she is. <laughs> and so anyway, uh, Foley ends up um, wanting to leave his headquarters, but no one believes that he's not the mastermind behind it yet so he just locks himself in his office and is like look i'm gonna stay here until like root comes back have fun and foley um might just be more paranoid now than he's ever been before and for good reason too at this point yeah every bit of paranoia everything that just Everything he did to the point of putting aluminum foil on his head to stop people from reading his thoughts, all justified. Absolutely. All vindicated. Oh, yeah. And also Mulch, uh, he was promised a two-day head start if he helped out with this uh, with this um, plan. So he goes ahead and he takes that two-day head start. He he waves Artemis by in the video feeds and he uh, and he reminds him to like get Holly to like put the um, anti-rad uh, spray on him and he, he goes. But I love how Mulch like looks out for Artemis in that. Like he didn't have to. He didn't have to remind Artemis, but he did. Because <laughs> Artemis like plum forgot. Uh, look, Artemis has so much going on. One of the reasons Artemis is a super genius is that he just didn't have anything going on in his sad, depressed house. Now there is so much happening around him at all times. It's a lot to keep track of. 
It is. And like, this is like the first of many times that Mulch just does Artemis a solid. And from there, we head to uh, chapter 14, our final full chapter. Here, you see the mafia preparing for the arrival of Artemis Fowl Jr., who they've been told to expect, and whose reputation, we learn in the underworld, uh, is literally magical. That is the word associated with Artemis Fowl Jr. He pops up where you don't expect him. He seems to have all of this information. What's going on? Uh, Artemis Fowl is to humans what fairies are to Artemis Fowl. I love that for him. The Fowl Squad, which now includes Foley, so minus one mulch plus one Foley, uh, are not really sure how to retrieve Artemis Fowl Sr. Because when they moved him earlier, they moved him to the pickup location, which is an iron ship surrounded by a hundred soldiers. Thankfully, Artemis has a quote-unquote extreme plan. Artie calls Mikhail up, uh, who is baffled as to how Artemis Fowl got his number. One more magical thing that they're going to have to explain away. It's Foley. Foley gave him the number. It's Foley. Absolutely. And he... Artemis says, hey, can you put my father where I can see him so I can confirm it's him? And Michaela's like, sure, this is standard protocol, whatever. Weird that you can see me. I'm real scared about that, but sure. Moves to moves Artemis Fowl Sr. into the line of sight of the Fowl Squad. Mm-hmm. And Artemis has his own father shot. Shot! Like, 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 Butler pulls the trigger. He's like, are you sure? And Artemis is like, yeah. <laughs> Don't panic, dear listener. Artemis Fowl has not lost his mind. Uh, he Artemis made a basically blood bullet using some of the fun technology they had earlier uh, so that it would look like Artemis Fowl Sr. was shot, which would allow Holly then to fly in and rescue him. Unfortunately, what they weren't prepared for was Artemis Fowl Sr. to go flying into the Russian waters, icy cold, So Artemis distracts Mikhail and the troop of Mafia soldiers by lighting up a briefcase full of magically disappearing money uh, that they scramble after to go get their ransom money as Holly flies into the water to get Artemis Sr. There's a really nervous moment where people are really unsure as to whether Holly's going to be able to make it in that water. Her her suit can only protect her from the elements so much. But then she explodes out of the water with Artemis Fowl Sr. in tow. She heals him. And the story, uh, save for the epilogue, which I will let Ash recap, the story ends with Artemis Fowl crying for a whole minute. A whole entire a minute. A whole minute. And you know um, what? He earned that. Also, we need to talk about, yeah, the epilogue. Epilogues for me, you and I have had this conversation about prologues and epilogues. Oftentimes they, uh, for most fantasy stories, they end up being like information we find out later or a lot of extra world building we don't need. The prologues in Artemis Fowl and the epilogues are actually super important to the cohesion of the story. So in mm-hmm. our epilogue, uh, Artemis returns to St. Bartleby's uh, as part of his cover story. He does. He returns to St. Bartleby's while they deposit his father at a local hospital to get ID'd and go through the actual human systems of, you know, returning home. And because Holly Holly was able to heal his, like, chest wound and his blinded eye, but there are limitations to fairy magic. 
Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of limitations. Like he's not gonna grow back a leg. Like that's not that's not gonna happen. So in the epilogue, we get a very very lovely scene where Artemis is saying goodbye to Holly, and Butler just kind of is like standing there with him, and like Artemis is like working up the the, the courage and the words to like. To thank Holly, right, for, for for helping him save his father. And, like, he just can't get the words out. And, like, Butler keeps on, like, nudging him. And so, finally, like, he, he does. He, like, he thanks Holly. And then he just starts blabbering because he can't stop. And then, like, Butler has to nudge him again to get him to shut up. And it is probably one of my favorite scenes in any book. It is just so lovely. And, like, cue the Swan Prince song montage at the... <laughs> beginning where like they hate each other but by the end they're like there's something there <laughs> and it's i just... love them and it's a great like wrap up to uh to the very first scene we see artemis in with a dr poe because like after he says goodbye to holly he returns to counseling sessions and 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 dr poe is like so and artemis is like i have an answer to your non-question about if i respect anyone and yeah there are some people that I respect. And it's just so good. And my favorite thing about that is uh, he's like, mm, Foley and Root. No, I don't respect them. The two people he specifically thinks about respecting are Holly and Butler. And Butler. And yeah. it's so good. And that is Artemis Fowl, The Arctic Incident. What a good book. I, I, I will say this book was a lot harder to follow then the first one, like in like the schemes, like with uh, with with the mafia and then with like there were a lot of moving parts that if you weren't like paying attention, like I had to reread the the action scene where they were slinging um, Root and Butler on the moon belt with Holly like twice because I, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I think the. I don't think the plot was particularly... Yeah, not the plot, but yeah. some of the set pieces. I think the action scenes, some of the like the more dramatic set pieces, are very cool. And also, like if this were a, a movie, very cool visually. But like the break into Cowboy Laboratories, the whole excursion with the train, it did take a, a harder minute for me to process those, uh, which is part of why they were so hard to explain to you, dear listener. Yeah, but, yeah, like it's 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 very hard to explain because like we get the information as we're reading the book. Like he doesn't info dump anything. Like we we, we well, learn I mean, it even as even then how he chooses to explain it. Like if if I have any critiques of this book, and I really don't, I think that would be my only one. Is that there are some moments where I'm like, mm, this is a very cool concept and a little muddled in the presentation of how I have to follow this. But even then, I think he did a pretty good job for the the dramatic moments he swung for yeah i agree i i think they were like slight swings and misses but i'm still glad he swung because they were still really cool when so i did yeah when when i did finally like get them so arctic incident what yes. were your favorite parts my favorite parts were probably the really soft moments where Artemis Fowl was out of his element. I I really, really loved those bits. Um, I love him versus the snow drifts constantly. Uh, yeah, so I think those were my favorite parts. Uh, Butler is still, still really great, but he doesn't do a lot of, like, really fun and kitschy things this time. He does, like, you know... Mr. Meet, Fist meet. wasn't enough for you? No, Mr. Fist wasn't enough for me because we already had the finger of authority. So, like, that was... <laughs> 
<laughs> the finger of authority from Root just like sent me because we all know what that looks like. But how, what was your favorite part? If we put aside my deep and unabiding love for Opal Cowboy, which we never should, but we will momentarily. Mm-hmm. Also, as a uh, somebody who shipped Holly and Artemis in the first book when I was 11, I loved the moments between them. But I also love that we got to see Holly so much in action. And I loved seeing like our squad work together as a group. Um, I really love, it's everybody's favorite trope. I love a found family. I love a team that works together. And they very much had that energy. I'm going to ask the same question I asked at the end of last episode where we Mm -hmm. both picked Butler, but who was your favorite character from this book? You know what? I'm actually going to say Root. Root was my favorite one this time. He had a lot of great, like, now that he didn't have to be in charge, he just got to be, like, one of the boys. And he had a lot of great moments. He he really, really did. And I really kind of, like, love his, like, grumpiness. And he was good. Yours is obviously Opal. <laughs> I think Opal Cowboy has never done anything wrong in her life. I think she was discriminated against and then sought to take down a corrupt system. And sure, maybe she would have been an evil fairy queen at the end of it. But like, who doesn't love Maleficent? You know, like sometimes we need an evil fairy queen in our lives. Yeah, but like she didn't have to choose that, right? She could have chosen any other thing. She could have been like, "No, I'm going to I'm going to alleviate like, you know, Haven from its like sexist ways and I'm going to yeah, show she's them. gonna do that by being an evil fairy queen. But that's not how you do that. <laughs> oh no. I think if everybody else in the universe thinks sexism is right, you have to be evil to get rid of it. Uh, but if I wasn't picking Opal Cowboy, who obviously uh, is my beloved uh, Holly for this book, like I loved the moments with Artemis. I loved the moments with Root. But there were just, she had so many good lines, so many good moments. And her trajectory in this book paralleled Artemis as of like Artemis was try- trying to find somebody he respected. Holly learned how to trust. And I loved watching that because she had to put her life in Root's hands and in Butler's hands and in Artemis's hands. And she did that. And it was so wonderful. Um, What can I say? I love my girls. I love my girls. They're good. They're good. good. Yeah. And like, I love how this like is that the end of this book absolutely is the perfect jumping off point for what was originally going to be the ending of the series. Yes. So we will be back next month reading Artemis Fowl, The Eternity Code. Originally, the Artemis Fowl series was supposed to be a trilogy. And then they expanded it when it became as successful as it did. So we will be reading all eight books in the series. uh, But know that when we get to the end of the next book, it was supposed to be the forever end until it wasn't. Exactly. And so I think this was a perfect middle middle of the trilogy book. I, it did everything it was supposed to, characters changed, and everything is being set up for the Eternity Code. And also, if it had ended here, it still would have been really satisfying. It really would have. And, and you can't say that for a lot of second book in a trilogy <laughs> True. <book>. Most <laughs> of them just feel like placeholders. But this one was they a do. whole story in its own right. And we yeah. love that. We absolutely do. 
Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Don't forget to tell a friend about the podcast where we read their favorite books and lovingly roast them. Subscribe. Give it five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All that fun stuff. You can email us your feels at novelstalgiapod at gmail.com. Double check the spelling. I know novelstalgia is a weird word. Also, if you have Opal Cowboy fan art, send it to me. I want to see it. We'll be back in uh, next month reading Artemis Fowl, The Eternity Code. Join us if you want by rereading yourself and posting about your own antics with the hashtag Novelstalgia on whatever social media site you use. Maybe we'll see it. Maybe we won't. I don't know. But use the hashtag. Do a thing. Ash, do you have anything else you want to tell the listeners before we vanish on them until uh, inevitably the teaser trailer where we talk about Eternity Code? Uh, not really. Thank y'all so much for letting us babble in your ear for an hour and a half. It was lovely to get to entertain you. We will talk to you all about Artemis Fowl some more soon. And until then, happy reading. Happy reading.